Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk. This is Shannon and Kathy. Today, we are going to talk about men who kill their wives. Some of the statistics, some of why they do, why they don't. I think some there's some prevailing views that are not exactly accurate as far as the statistics are concerned. Um, but first, I want to give a little disclaimer. Um, neither Kathy nor myself worked on any of the cases we might uh, mention, unless we actually say, hey, I worked on this case, then you'll know we did. Um, we'll be discussing, we're not going to discuss anything like in an official capacity, obviously. And that might be obvious to some of you, but I think to some others, um, that's a confusing thing. So try to think of this as if we're all sitting around the dinner table discussing the case with your friends, except for at this dinner table, you happen to have a couple of people that come from a psychological perspective. <laughs> <laughs> was that fair to say, Kathy? I was, I was at a, um, I spoke last night at a friend's event and one of the speakers found out I was a psychologist and she goes, oh, in, in a kind of a funny way. And I said, what is that? And she said, <laughs> Yeah, you guys, my sisters, you analyze all the time. And I said, that's absolutely impossible. I would go crazy if I analyze. I think there's this idea that all we do is analyze all day. And, yeah, and I mean, I don't know how to compare ourselves to like people who don't do our work. So I'm sure we do it more yeah. than most, but not to the point where I was like, I don't actually, I'm not thinking about you that much right now. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the key, right? Right. Because it's that... Is it's that I mean, uh, uh, most of us as human beings want to th- want to believe that we're the center of yeah. the universe, and so and that's okay. That, mm-hmm. That's that's a protective measure, mm-hmm. actually. Um, I read this meme the other day that said, "What if people who study psychology really do know what you're thinking?" <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'll post it on our Facebook because I um, <laughs> I just that's the idea. Is it's like, yes, I know everything you're about to do, everything you've done. Just from the and why your you're eye. doing it and when you'll do it again. <laughs> we're not we're not fortune tellers. <laughs> not, not usually. No. Every now but and then. <laughs> it was really funny because and she kind of laughed. I said, if I analyzed as much as you think I do, I'd be dead. I'd be exhausted. Yeah, super exhausted and not able to conduct like life skills functioning. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that is the disclaimer that we'll most likely give on any episode we're talking about you know cases in the news um i know that to prepare for this episode and my thoughts about the myths and different things i watched uh the staircase Mm -hmm. all 14 episodes of it or whatever Mm -hmm. um which was which was interesting and uh i kind of brushed up on some other cases in the past and looked up some ideas. You did some preparation. Yeah, I watched The Staircase a while back, and then I watched another documentary on YouTube today around Michael Peterson, who mm-hmm. was the you know the man who was convicted in The Staircase. Um, but then I have also, over the last six months, I was looking into Chris Watts' case, which mm-hmm. happened just about a year, just over a year ago, August 13th, 2018, I think is when he was either arrested or I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and then we, I remember exactly where I was during the whole Scott and Lacey Peterson thing. That was like yeah. the early millennium. Yeah, it sure was. So those were the three that I looked at 
the most. And there, and Michael Peterson is actually layered with a couple different people in there, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But those are the three that I really looked at for today. Well, yeah, and and, and Michael Peterson is interesting too in that. Uh, like so many of the Netflix documentaries and the different things, true crime things that have come out, like, you know, we talked about Amanda Knox and different things like that. It's really skewed towards believing he's innocent kind of thing like that. That's it sort of goes in that direction. Um, I think they try to be a little bit balanced, like for 30 minutes at the beginning of the 15 hours of whatever. But but then it very solidly is telling his story. Oh, you thought you you thought the documentary made him look innocent? Well, I think it's skewing that way because it's his story. And so it's um, it's once you get a couple of episodes in, Mm -hmm. it's really all about um his lawyers and his justifications and you know they're not sitting around with the prosecutors and learning a lot about those kinds of facts and you're getting to know his family you're talking to the daughters that I, i remember when i watched it and i can't remember if that's skewed by the documentary i watched today but i definitely didn't walk away from the staircase believing his innocence the way that i did with the amanda knox and i don't know if that's my own evaluation of it or that is just how I felt they did it because I felt like it almost mocked him his own documentary yeah I guess I guess you could see it that way I I I don't I don't know whether he's innocent or guilty I know Mm -hmm. that he was convicted and then he spent eight years in prison and then they let him out and Mm -hmm. then he did never went back to jail Mm -hmm. so um they um so there. That's yeah. all, that's all I know. Um, yeah. That might be wrong, but that's <laughs> that's what the documentary said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't come away thinking he was innocent or guilty. Actually, I kind of came away just like observing him and mm-hmm. seeing sort of his behavioral traits and seeing ways ways he seemed innocent and ways he seemed guilty. Totally. You know, and not really knowing, you know, any of the facts of the case except for what's presented in the media because I I didn't read any of the official documents because that's not my interest. But um, I, I prefer, I, I'm, I was really interested to watch him, which... He was fascinating to watch. Right. And just like we had commented and talked about Amanda Knox and how you can't really make a decision based on someone's reaction or behavior... Um, he, in so many ways, he appeared much more like a psychopath to me. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's because he really loved all of the attention. Um, and his, 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 he used humor in a really strange way. He's an odd, he is an odd duck. I mean, um, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I can, see how like his personality could be perceived in so many different ways. It's mm-hmm. like my, my overwhelming first thought was he was sort of nerdy. He was really nerdy. He was totally nerdy. And um, he had sort of a social awkwardness to him. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because, um, you know, he sort of came off like he doesn't struggle with his identity at all mm-hmm. um, or his preferences in the bedroom, et cetera. But I feel like there's more to that story. And he hid it a lot. He hit yeah, a lot because mm-hmm. he hit it a lot. And I know that, you know, and we still, I mean, so from watching the documentary, you just really don't know whether or not his, I don't know, I should say whether or not his wife, his second wife actually knew of his, of his um, wanting to have sex with men and women or 
and if it was an agreement between the two of them. My understanding was he said it had been an agreement. Yes. Yeah. His, his contention was that this was something that she knew about mm -hmm. and that was part of their relationship. And then, but it's very clear in the documentary that his kids didn't know and that they all had varying reactions to that. Which is understandable. I mean, his wife yeah. might know and his kid, that might not be any reason for his kids yeah, to know. Yeah, that sort of seemed plausible to yeah. me. Regardless of what is true, that, that tracks for me just because I've known um, a handful of bisexual people and mm -hmm. I've known a handful of people in open relationships mm -hmm. as well. So that tracks to me. Of, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that it's personal, but it's open within the two of them. Sure, and I think that not to go, not to digress too much, but I do think, especially with men, when we're looking at bisexuality, because there's so much pop culture and um, there's so many negative things about bisexuality, yeah. is that we assume if a man has, whether it's sexual interest or romantic interest or, or whatever. whatever it is, that he is really just a closeted gay. Yeah. Um, and it's much more biased. It's even biased with women, but it's much more so with men. And to me, it really is, plays zero revel, uh, its relevance in his guilt or innocence. And right. it's strange that it was brought into the case. Yeah, it was brought in for motive because mm -hmm. I think what they struggled with was motive. Is well, he had a ton of debt. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was going to get all of Kathleen's assets. if she. I think there was a ton of other motive mm -hmm. um, that for, for, I feel like it was a way to exploit him. Yeah, I, I mean, the the stuff that you see about the courtroom settings and that is you don't, they talk about motive, like the defense talks a lot about how they could never really like uh, create a motive that worked or, uh, and that was one of the defense's like strengths in mm -hmm. their case as they thought was that they were trying to make it about, you know, she, so, so that leads us into actually talking a little bit about sort of some common assumptions about why men kill mm -hmm. their wives um, and sort of maybe we can juxtapose that with what we see in uh, the Michael Peterson case and what we don't. So the reason why I said that is because I thought, you know, they're, they were trying to say that, you know, there was a, a an impulsive fight over the fact that, you know, he had been sleeping with men and she found out mm -hmm. and all of this, which, you know, w so that it was some sort of, sexual jealousy and and what's interesting about that is i think one of the one of the main like common assumptions is that the murder stems from like a ma masculine possessiveness so that um a sexual jealousy and anger and we're not saying that that doesn't happen of course it happens mm -hmm. everything happens guys like everything happens mm -hmm. but generally speaking that's an assumption that as a culture we make that that's why men kill wives is that they get jealous and angry and then they kill them yeah. So one of the pieces of research I was looking at, so there's um, a forensic psychologist. He's very popular. He's worked on, he worked on Andrea Yates. He wor he's worked on a lot of big cases. His name's Park Dietz. <clears throat> Some people listening might know exactly who he is. And he actually messed up pretty bad <laughs> in the Andrea Yates case. One of my, my first um, assignments in my doctoral program was to actually do the entire transcription of the Andrea Yates case and have to analyze that. It was, it was an awesome, actually in hindsight, it was such a great, but when you first got that assignment, <laughs> actually I was really, this is where I, I love my work. I was actually really excited, yeah. but overwhelmed because it was a very long case, Overwhelmed. but he yeah. actually says that it's in the top three motives. 
sexual jealousy. What he did say, though, and is less common, which I think is a main, um, Mm -hmm. you know, mainstream idea, is that the person is replacing the wife or partner with another partner. That that is actually less common. Um, so well, I don't know I, how much of those overlap, but yeah. And I don't know what he says about it, but my, my understanding is that, that, that we look at it as a possessiveness of, you know, you must love me type of thing or love me only maybe. Mm, right. You know, and I, I think, I think I, I, I definitely think there's something to that because it, but it's got some it's got some color to it. And I guess my point is, is that a part of the like conditions of risk, like for those of you listening who might be afraid that this is going to happen to you or that it's going to happen to someone, you know, or, you know, this is somehow interesting to you in a personal way. One of the, I think one of the risky things that we're talking about is when the man sort of, you're his whole world. Right. You know? And so, so any separation from you, any any non mirroring behavior, basically, mm-hmm. like if if you're not mirroring him, mirroring him exactly in, you know what you need to be, who you are, you what respond. he needs mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. that um, there can be a rupture there. Or if you want to leave, I think is right. kind of what you're talking about too, like mm-hmm. the possessiveness and jealousy. Sort of, of like what OJ was accused of. Yeah. You know, that murder of passion. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think in the Michael Peterson case, they were trying to say that she had enraged him or, right. you know, that, that she had called him on whatever. And, and we, n- nobody witnessed that. Nope. And nothing in really his psychological profile demonstrated that there was no. no history of the only thing that's in there, which is completely, I think, it's it's not even related to the sexual jealousy was this previous wife who died the same way Mm -hmm. elizabeth radcliffe well but but here's the thing (laughs) because they want to make you think that they died the same way Mm -hmm. um at first and then they sort of pick it apart and and i don't you know i don't know all the details but they sort of say they think that she died in the same way because they were both found at the bottom of stairs right but what I understand is that the first wife had um, some kind of brain, brain issue. Brain hemorrhage or yeah, something? Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, I guess the assumption is that she had one and fell backwards down a few stairs mm-hmm. and and died there. Um, I mean, talk about... <laughs> Talk Jesus. about bad luck for this guy, though. Seriously, he, he should just shouldn't have a staircase in his house. Right. I, I mean, mean if he's, he's not, if he's, <laughs> let's just put it this way: like, if he's not a murderer, like that's killed both his wives, or some it's kind of some bad luck, gender bending black widow kind mm-hmm. of situation. Right. If he's not that, this is just awful. The luck. most horrendous yeah. circumstances. But, um, I mean, his his second wife, who is the case we're really talking about. You know, I mean, there were there were blood splatters on the ceiling. There were blood splatters on the wall. There was blood everywhere. Um, you know, all of this stuff. And ultimately, the case got overturned because the forensic guy that kind of, in some ways, really fabricated the like blood on the shorts thing and did these really crazy experiments that weren't scientific at all. He was awful. Lee? Are you talking yeah. about Lee? Um, uh, I forget his name yeah. right now, but um, 
he was the one, you know, that got the case turned overturned. So, but, but back to my thought was that there was blood everywhere in this house. And I, and that was not the impression I got from the first. No, not at all. <laughs> the, the first wife dying. So, yeah. Um, I was going to say something. Oh, it's related to, I'll come back to it. I lost okay. my thought. Sorry. The other thing I was thinking was that I think a lot of people have an assumption that all of these happen like as a climax of a history of violence. In other words, because I notice in this case and in a lot of cases, and I think in the media, one of the things that they try to glom onto is, oh, they argued all the time and he slapped her around and, and that it's not always a conclusion of domestic violence. No, and a lot of times domestic violence, um, the deaths are actually an accident mm -hmm. versus something that's premeditated. But it's funny you say that because when we look at a lot of, behavior in our field will will oftentimes say the number one predictor of future violence is past but i fell across the same research which said with this type of stuff it's actually not mutually exclusive with past criminal behavior mm -hmm. that this could be this person's first attempt at doing anything like yeah, this but that's what i found too they're not like a conduct disordered kid or an antisocial personality mm -hmm. that it really just appears to come out of nowhere which is, which is, so, so this is the thing I, so I wouldn't, so, huh, how do I say this? When I was looking at this, what I read was, what I read was it wasn't that it would just came out of nowhere, but that it was, that it was planned much like we talk about with these sort of sociopathic, psychopathic mm -hmm. people that we've talked about. It's more calculated. Yeah. It's not a. A regular thing where he's beating her up every day it's a plan right that's why like i said it killing. appears it comes right. out of oh, nowhere gotcha, yeah gotcha, gotcha. yeah but you're right it's in and which is you know i think contrary to what we might think <laughs> absolutely and actually one of the biggest um motives they say is if there's a threat to the marriage let's say there's um maybe they're looking at divorce mm -hmm. that Someone, and I'm not saying all men here, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying maybe some a, a man who might be more impulsive or reactive does not want to face the financial losses that come with divorce, mm -hmm. and they think that they'll get away with the murder. Yeah. So, like you're, you were just, like Shannon was just saying, there is a trajectory when you go back and you look at what we call like a psychological autopsy and you really dissect it, it goes back a lot further but it's not this messy clumsy violent it's all calculated and it's silent it's plotted and i and i guess that's one of the things that the prosecution felt about michael peterson i suppose is that is that he had been plotting to do away with her so he could go have his gay lifestyle type of i mean that was kind of the that was the story they were selling the mm -hmm. media etc is that he you know that this was a thing that he was trying to do. And he, and you know, he could be the best psychopath in the planet and be lying to us all. But, mm -hmm. and I'm perfectly willing to accept that, but he also was going to say, but he also was, um, very consistent in his message that he, um, loved her and all of that. So, right. You know, what I was going to bring up was when we were talking about Amanda Knox, we had said something like, you know, if she, was guilty 
then she would have gone to possibly gone to her attorney right away or mm -hmm. gone to authorities right away, which is really interesting, at least based on the stuff I've seen. That is what he did is mm -hmm. he refused to talk to her family. He talked to his family and he got an attorney. Now that's either because he's very smart mm -hmm. and he's older and he knew what this could be, or he knew he was caught. Mm -hmm. So I'm not suggesting he's guilty or innocent because of that, but we had talked about that behavior with Amanda yeah, Knox yeah. and how he's at a very different stage of his life and has a lot more experience. And so it could have been for either reason, but that's ex immediately that what he did. That is what he did. And, and as you say that, I'm thinking, well, I would go immediately to an attorney. Mm -hmm. I think... Like, I haven't been in that situation. Right, so I don't actually know. don't know. None of us know how we would we don't react know. in that situation. So in my head, I think, <clears throat> yeah, I would. I've watched, I mean, we've all watched too much Law and Order at this point. Like, right. I, I would call, I mean, I have lawyers in my family. So it's like, I, I would do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my dad's a political science criminal justice guy. Like, mm -hmm. uh, this is, like, I know this, like, I'd call the lawyer, right? But well, he was a journalist who had ruffled some feathers in that town. I mean, I'm sure that he's had to call attorneys for things before. Yeah. The, the one thing that got me, though, was um, the, the thing about not responding to his sister-in-law and um, going to his family. There's one other piece in there I'm dropping. Sorry, I have so many thoughts about this right now. Um, man, sorry. I've, this is like there's so much information about this case that's so fascinating, and I can't remember what I was going to say. You could just go with those two. <laughs> uh, I thought, I just thought that, oh, this is what it was. And he had said that she was so drunk, and then the toxicology report showed that she had no blood alcohol content. She had so. 0.07, which is not, not, not belligerent. Well, it's, it's even below the legal limit. Right. right. So, so again, was this his just interpretation or what, was he scared? So I don't know, but that was suspicious to me too. Yeah, no, there's lots of suspicious stuff besides him being really strange. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of these cases that got a lot of attention and they do, you know, gigantic series on them and they're in the media constantly is because the person is odd. And that is also how Amanda Knox got famous too. Not only was it like a situation where she was, um, had presumably done this terrible thing in another country and she was young and beautiful and everything, but she was odd. She was very odd. They just, they were odd. And I, and again, I don't know how I would act if I was in that situation, but I don't think, I would be that odd. I mean, I want to think that. I, no, I, I think that's just their. It's not like their personality became that. No, I think that's just they were odd to begin with, mm -hmm. and then okay. which makes people suspicious. Yeah, yeah. It the sure majority does. of the population goes, "We don't. What's wrong with you? We don't yeah. act like that. We you're odd, so you're a murderer. So I mean, this guilty. is that idea. Mm -hmm. This is that conviction in the media that we right. that we talk about. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be back for more of our discussion. While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Okay, 
we're back. So let's talk a little bit more. I think I know we have some more statistics and I know I want to talk a little bit more about a few more conditions of risk to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to start with something over there? Um, sure. So the majority are non-Hispanic white males. Okay. Um, so we've talked about this before on the show, the difference between causational and correlational. So I want to be really clear here. When I say this, this is correlated to not necessarily the cause of mm-hmm. um, access to guns, guns in the house, or you, ha- you own a gun because economic loss or unemployment can actually heighten the risk or tip the scale. And then if they have access to a weapon, it's just easier. Just like suicidal risk. Just like suicide. Yeah. Just any, any SI or HI um, assessment is going to assess for access. Right. Right. And then the last one would be, And again, correlated to, because we already talked about how it's not a necessity, but a history of domestic violence. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, um, So what I was saying before, there's this, so the man perceives the woman as being his whole world. And so when she leaves or wants to leave or um, is pregnant, which is also often a risk factor, certainly for domestic violence. I have that written down too. Yeah. And I think it's because there's something that's going to take the woman's full focus and the, the, this particular kind of man is supplanted from being um, number one or uh, her whole world. Um, There's also that the man's like life lacks other meaning or reasons for living. So it's that you put all your eggs in one basket kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It's like obsession, right? Um, it's almost like the dichotomy in this is it's either jealousy or erasure. It's like yeah. either something's going on that the, is causing rage and jealousy or the opposite, which is if I eliminate this person, then my life will be perfect. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think there's another um, thing to look for too is, and I think it goes along with what we're talking about is that they're sort of rigid and uncompromising. So totally. it's, it's the black and white of it, right? You're my whole world, which isn't like, there's no gray in that, right. <laughs> you know, I have no, nothing else that means anything to me or that means as much or, and there's no other reason to live if you, if you leave me. So that's a pretty rigid way to look at the world as if, as if a person can fulfill all of that for you in, in a, in a hypo, you know, quote unquote love situation. I mean, that doesn't feel like love to no. me. I mean, it doesn't look like love from the outside. It's I, objectivity. Yeah. It's being someone's object and mirror, like I was talking about mm-hmm. before, because it's often this sort of narcissistic situation where, you know, if, if, I, if I'm not a perfect mirror, if I step out of the mirror in any way, how dare you? Uh, there's a real terrible reaction. And with some men, it's very violent. Yeah. And, I, and what's really interesting, at least the ones that are on TV that we see, the one that, that get a lot of attention is many of the marriages look really good on the outside. So Chris Watts, mm. for people who know him or don't know him, um, I think the family was from North Carolina, but I I can't remember where they were actually living when this happened, but he, uh, he had his wife and his little girls. And I believe his wife was pregnant and he was again, going through a separation, I think planning on a divorce. He had met another woman and he eliminated, I mean, he took them out to the middle of nowhere, really sad, the details of the daughter's last words. Um, but it was just really 
a, a, one of the worst cases I've ever read. But if you look at all of the pictures from their life, they look like the perfect family at Disneyland. Yeah, it's that it's that fusion model, right? The romantic ideology, I yep. think, that happens in this in this situation where um, it's actually, you know, the assumption is is that that it's to kill or harm or maim but it's actually to protect you see that in a lot of uh criminal you know law and order type episodes which is taken from reality where it's this it's this profound union so it's like the ultimate fusion is to you all die and i'm gonna that's why the murder suicide yep. um comes yep. about right mm -hmm. and there was a, a recent case you were there's a recent case so um you know People listening, we are we record out of Los Angeles, California, and within LA we have the San Fernando Valley, which is where my practice is. And I recently heard two weeks ago, right here in the area where Shannon and I live, that there was a murder suicide. Um, father, I believe he was an attorney, murdered his wife, his teenage son. And I believe his 20-something-year-old daughter escaped um, unharmed. My understanding is that she fought her way out. And so this, you know, most people, unless you live in this area, have not heard this. It just goes to show you how often this actually happens. And we only get, you know, 2% of these cases are probably actually televised and picked up and made nationwide. Totally devastating. This kid was... Um, I think in his late teens, mm, 19 years old, it says, yeah. I just looked it up. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I know people who knew the family, totally unexpected. It's, it's too real. It's too close. No, it's devastating. And I mean, it makes local news, but you know, it happens unfortunately too often for every story to go national or international. Um, but it's also like what we were saying about, Michael Peterson and Amanda Knox, it's like when the case takes on some other qualities, like really bizarre behavior and um, sexual components are what those two have yep. in common. Is and she was also in a whole other country. Too. Yeah. And I think, it, yeah, absolutely. And the way she looked and then for mm -hmm. him, it was the sexual component and the fact that he was uh, a pretty well-known writer at mm -hmm. the time. So, And she's female. We don't see that a lot. Either oh, Amanda, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, right, a young, especially young, and young female. All of that. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to say the least, and as was the Michael Peterson case. And I don't know, the documentary was. I got I got pretty tired. Oh, I was bored <laughs> out of my mind, but I forced myself. I'm like, I have to get to the end. It's kind of like your your experience with Chernobyl. Oh yeah, I was like three episodes in the staircase. I'm like, I just I saw it when it first came out, and I'm like, I just got to push through it. Yeah, and I don't... He was it, so odd. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. When I... When I... Did they add episodes to it? Because there was all the... Um, like, you know, it was eight years later when he was released. And then there's all of that story, too. So I just... Yeah. These, these documentary filmmakers, you know, they had this... Well, he you died know, in 2001. I they mean, had, it's an old case. They, they had these, like, 10 or 11 episodes of... Um, of whatever of of him going through the original case and then he was in prison for eight years mm -hmm. and then they picked it up again and did like three four more episodes of when he got out and how he stayed there and then and then two and a half years go by 
while they're waiting for another trial, he's out on, you know, he's got the EM on, mm -hmm. the electronic monitoring, and and then they're still on the case. So these right. people followed him for like ever. Like a decade or something. And then <laughs> Forever. he, I think he died in 2001 and I think something went back to court in 2004. I, there's just so much on, it's, yeah. Oh, no. Let it rest. <laughs> Um, he actually murdered, or murdered, well. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian Let slip. me reel that back for a second. He actually was, um, uh, the murder of Kathleen Peterson happened in 2001. Oh, so, okay. And then he was convicted in 2003. Um, and But he did die, right? He passed uh, away. I thought he did. I don't think Am so. Am I making that up? I think you might be making that up. Okay, I made that up. <laughs> I think you might be making that up because um, he finally in 2017 submitted an Alford plea to the reduced charge of manslaughter. And that would be weird if he had passed. Yeah. 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 Um, not dead to our knowledge. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, he is 75 years old now. So there's that. Anyway, did you have something else? What else are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what uh, else is happening there's a lot of halloween stuff all over the room that's <laughs> happening there's that we're a little distracted it's halloween um, season no i mean i think that's really it so i think so i think what it is is that um explaining this like horrific behavior is sort of it's it's not that it, it, it's not that love is in justifying their actions but their their state of mind is that they're they're rigidly fixated, I guess. And there's this romantic ideology. And yes, are there exceptions to this? Yes. Yes, do accidents happen with domestic violence and they're harmed in that way. People are harmed in that way. And, you know, we're not talking about all of the cases that you see where, where women um, murder their children or murder their husbands and then murder their children. Like that yeah. is a different kind of psychology. Infanticide's a whole other, and if, if anyone's interested, the, the Andrea Yates case is really a fascinating case to look at mm -hmm. because she ended up getting, uh, I believe she ended up getting the insanity plea and really oh. should not have. Mm. So, and those are the court documents that you had to read for to school. read the whole trial. <laughs> I had to transcribe and yeah. go through and yeah, uh -huh. um, really interesting case. But this is back to when a lot of women were, I think, given more of the benefit of the doubt, you know, and so right. she shouldn't have. I, I had a, a patient of mine in forensic outpatient setting where she got the insanity plea and she was clearly a psychopath okay. and she slipped through the cracks. And that I think they're more careful with that now, mm -hmm. but women used to get away with a lot more, especially yeah. if they were mothers. Yeah, there's like, there's the pluses and minuses to the fact that the whole world thinks we're hysterical, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, because we did the, the Lizzie Borden uh, two-part uh, story um, last season. But, you know, and that that's a long history of women being thought to be uh, hysterical and impulsive and emotional. We Bleeding all the time. Yes, bleeding all the time. I think that's when many listeners turned us off was when we started talking about the bleeding. The men, anyway. <laughs> the men definitely turned it off at that point. Like, this is not the kind of bleeding we were tuning in for. Right? Um, but yeah, so it, I think that the, what we're talking about is when love turns women into hostages because um, this is a real situation 
where the man becomes a terrorist and the woman becomes the hostage in the situation because ultimately most women are going to say this is really a tight little jacket you got me in here and mm -hmm. i you know i do have my own thoughts i do have my own mm -hmm. needs i do you know and and unfortunately it's, it's so many people will then you know, either have affairs or try to leave in the middle of the night, or not feel like there's a way out. And mm -hmm. so then that becomes this like motivation for uh, homicide, mm -hmm. I, guess, I guess. And I don't know, do you, in your forensic experience in the different pla places that you've worked over the last, you know, decade, have you come across a lot? Have you worked with a lot of, uh, men that have exhibited this kind of behavior or done this kind of thing? I actually worked with more women uh -huh. who had, I, I've dealt with more violent offenders who are male, mm -hmm. sure. but not ones who had harmed their own family. Okay. Um, with the exception of two and one was an incest case, not a murder. Mm -hmm. The, the actual physical violence to children or to family, most of my cases were women. Some of them were chronically mentally ill and had a psychotic break and have a ton of remorse. I mean, those were really tough cases to work on because they were not narcissistic or psychopathic. They were very ill. Mm -hmm. um, but then I've had a couple who, like this patient I was telling you about, who just sitting in the room with her, it felt cold. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting working with a woman. Cause you think you go into this work and you're going to have a lot more men that you're dealing with. Most of the men that I worked with had more sex offenses, mm -hmm. but as far as this type of stuff, I actually had more female. Yeah. That just happened to be where your, where your life took you. It just, how it was my caseload was selected. I mean, right. we had many, many male clients who committed violent offenses and murdered. And I, we had one guy who actually murdered his parents mm -hmm. and buried them in the basement. Yes. But he was also, he had a complete psychotic break and he was not when, again, a lot of, a, a lot of ways that we're able to tell is when they come to and they're medicated and the amount of remorse. And when they start to realize what happened, they start to have mm -hmm. a breakdown. You realize that this was not some sort of psychopathic behavior. Mm -hmm. This specific case that I'm talking about literally would leave me sometimes. The first, when I first started working with her, I had a couple panic attacks after she left the room because I, there was something sitting in me that I'm like, this woman is so guilty and she knows exactly what she did. Oh. And it was very scripted. Um, and She's mimicking real life she was emotion, mimicking right? And, and she would, it was like every time she got to a certain point in her story, she would cue the tears. It was very strange, her presentation. There was completely detached from any real affect. Yeah. Um, those were some of the hardest cases because you can't do therapy with people like that. No. We, I, it was mostly risk assessment and seeing was she, you know, able to... Going to kill someone today. Is she going to kill someone today? Is she getting in before curfew is mm -hmm. she reporting to her probation you know that was that kind of stuff but you sat in a room to contain her we pretended to do therapy yeah yeah because it becomes more case management because totally. you know and most of us know when you work with high-risk peeps no matter what age uh 
doing therapy basically like teaches them how to be better psychopaths. Absolutely. So you have to assess that pretty quickly. And then you, and, and by assessment, I mean, yes, there are all these blunt instruments that we use, Mm -hmm. but I also know that with experience, you can feel it. It's like Mm -hmm. you said, um, that it felt cold, uh, things, you know, things that she said didn't connect to what, what you felt in other words the affect is incongruent meaning like what it's like she looked right through me when we'd be sitting there was this blank stare there's nothing there there's nothing there and and maybe maybe everyone knows what it's like to sit with someone that it's you're just it feels off it doesn't feel authentic it feels as if they're they've um scripted something it feels like they're not quite connecting to their heart or mm-hmm. the world and and those kinds of those kinds of things actually mean something in our work because it's just like when you sit with different kinds of personality disorders you um i can sort of i can go in a particular direction of questioning i'm not going to say i diagnose off of my gut but i can read my own thoughts, feelings, reactions be- out of experience, and then I can go down a particular line of questioning yep. because of those things. Yep. And it generally pans out. You know, I can use the blunt instruments to have it pan out in a more mm-hmm. scientific mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. Which it kind of describes like what you were doing too. It's like you knew what you had, and then you were doing the assessments. Totally. And what and these clients were people who were post-adjudicative. So basically they had served their time in the hospital and come out on conditional release. And because she was found not guilty by reason of insanity rather than guilty for murder, she had to go to therapy. And clearly we all knew that that was not, I mean, garbage. garbage. And when you start (laughs) looking at what I would do is dig up, I started to dig up her history and look back at old records pre-adjudicative and her behavior and how she was had created a lot of problems in her previous work and accused her husband of domestic violence when there was no there was she had she had made up a scenario that made her look very vulnerable and the victim and when it came down to it when you looked at all every you put everything together you're like wow this woman knew exactly what she was creating Mm -hmm. to to create this perfect murder. And when I read the police report, it was one of the most devastating police reports I've ever read because when you read these, and I won't go into any detail, so um, I don't think that's relevant, but when you read these police reports um, and there are children involved, it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It's so painful. I, I don't think I, with all the work that I've done, anytime I have to read about a child or an animal to this day, it's it just, it never gets easier. No. And to, to think that this woman knew what she was doing it's really sick. Yeah. I, I'm, we're going to wrap it up. And, and by way of wrapping it up, I just want to say in listening to, uh, you know, that the qualities of that case, it, it's a description of what we've been talking about. Actually, this whole episode is the, the plotting and the long sort of long tail thought about something. And, and although I don't know the spe- specifics of that case, it go it kind of goes to our point around 
Um, she wasn't the profile of no. kill the family and commit suicide. No. What we were talking about earlier is the this more romantic ideology, this more um, fixated kind of personality that will um, actually murder their families out of love. You know, as ridiculous and horrible as that sounds, that's that is pretty much what they would tell you that their love would endure forever because mm -hmm. they, you know, have committed this and that, that everyone will be together in heaven type of situation. So thank you so much for listening. We're going to come back. Um, we have one more segment to do. We're going to come back and do our weekly what the hell segment. So we'll be back in a minute. Hey there, we're back. This is our what the hell segment which is when we both, we each of us actually, find a, well, a dumbass criminal, basically. And it's a story, a true crime story, where we say, we read it and we say, uh, what the hell? What the hell happened? Or what the hell were they thinking? So here we are. What the hell? Did you eat the Oreo? No. From in between no. our zombies' fingers? No, ma'am. Okay. We have Halloween uh, Oreo cookies for the segment what happened of the show. to the, did he eat it no i put it back oh. in the thing because i threw the hand at you oh i threw the severed hand at you <laughs> and the there's so many bloody hands all over and this the desk cookie right? fell out and so oh. there it is so we're in a little bit of a halloween sure thing we're not wasting that you should definitely tune in to um this friday's shrink chat show because we're just i think we're gonna go a little off the rails with the halloween decorations that are in the room so but first what the hell um, so I will go first. Okay. Okay. So there are burglars who carefully scout their surroundings because, you know, they specialize in specific targets and they patiently wait for the best moment to enter the building. And then there's the other kind who just charge <laughs> butt first at the window of the nearest house <laughs> and hope like hell nobody's home. <laughs> butt first? Yeah, that's what the article says. And I thought that was amusing. So I'm quoting... And I don't know who wrote this article because we don't care about this. We don't research it at all. Continue. Just, right. Darren Kempton. <laughs> this is good. Darren Kempton is the god king of the latter sort of thief. Thanks to his colossal ineptitude that not only ignored the whole scouting the location thing, but also failed to recognize the existence of police while they were literally standing in front of him. So in 2013, um, in Abington, UK, there was a house that was burglared. Burgled, actually. Burgled? The way it's said. Burgled. Um, so the homeowner calls the police. Um, the cops arrive on the scene. Uh, there, There's a broken window by the door. And so they're interviewing the homeowner and figuring out what's going on. So then a second burglar rocked up to the door and started letting himself in completely oblivious to the person who lived there plus wait, the police wait a minute was yeah, yeah. that burglar with the other burglars i don't know they just happened to get hit twice in the well, same night so the burglar <laughs> <laughs> so the guy goes up to the door and starts to go in the cops are standing right there <laughs> i would do if i am like yeah, he's distracted by those burglars. yeah like who is this yahoo yeah uh so this was darren kempton criminal mastermind Clearly. Perceptive genius. He probably follows burglars. Future inmate. And then goes in while they're getting arrested. <laughs> so some bemused looks and extremely short case scene later, the cops arrested Mr. Kempton. It was then noticed that his hand was injured. And after some quick sleuthing, found his blood 
had been on the door lock of another house Idiot. that he had failed to burgle earlier that same night. Moron. And that, <clears throat> friends, is how you truly become the clumsiest of all criminals. Not only do you attempt to illegally enter a house full of cops, but you actually let them bust you for two crimes at the same time. Yeah. So. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. What the hell? <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so that's mine. You go. Would you ever call a bank ahead of time to let them know you were going to rob it? <laughs> no, probably not. Okay. These guys did this. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm still internalizing Are you this trying to thing. figure out what the hell happened? I, I really am. Don't try to figure it out. <clears throat> just read it. <laughs> That's what I do. Fairfield, did. Connecticut. <laughs> These two would-be robbers mm. tried to ad adapt a novel approach mm -hmm. to the noble art of bank heisting. Mm. Albert Bailey and his juvenile accomplice didn't feel like going the traditional route. With guns and masks and all that. So sure. they adopt a more gentlemanly approach. Okay. They call ahead. Sure. To alert, to Make alert, a reservation. The, to alert the bank <laughs> of the upcoming shenanigans. So <laughs> Bailey calls the bank to let them know that this robbery business was totally going down. Friday, 6 p.m. Reservation for three. After, I love, this is the, the funniest line. After presumably being put on hold for an uncomfortable amount of time. Mm. He told the person on the other end that if the bank wouldn't give $100,000 in large bills to his accomplice, who would soon be popping by to pick it up, <laughs> there would be a bloodbath. Yeah. I'm scared. So the, in quotes, it says, just being polite and making sure my bloodbath schedule lines up with yours. <laughs> the employee, understandably surprised that the robber would kindly give them a heads up, immediately mm. calls the cops and started initiating a lockdown while waiting for the police to arrive. At this exact moment, Bailey's accomplice strolled over to the teller, gave them a note that said he was the guy picking up the money. Here, or there will be a bloodbath. I'm going to shove this under the glass right here. Can you take a look at that? By the way, I'm the guy. This is the best. To the shock of no one, it literally says to the shock of no one, except maybe the robbers, the police showed up and apprehended both would-be thieves because Bailey was sitting outside in the getaway vehicle. Pretty much nothing went their way because while they had specifically requested a non-die pack of bag cash, that exact thing exploded when it was thrown on the ground after the suspects were confronted by law enforcement. Amazing. So when you said so, the person and like a juvenile accomplice, yeah. I was thinking like, they've got to both be juveniles because this is very... Uh, he looks pretty young, but he's definitely in his 20s. He was probably with like a 15-year-old. Pulled him out of school for the day. <laughs> I'm thinking delayed intellectual capacity. But. <laughs> And or. And or. And or. <laughs> well, we do find the best burgles, don't we? Mm -hmm. So that's our what the hell um, segment in our episode for today. Uh, this is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.